This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Wow, we went right up against the end of that segment. So I'm here to tell you, first of all, what's happening in this hour. I'm Ramia Amadin. I'm Kelly McDonald. They've had a surprising revival in the last several years, and Christine Malik is going to tell us more about that on Curious Minds. Also, our weekly roundtable, this time with Mark Phoenix, which I'm very excited to have him back on. Uh, but Kelly, you tell us, what do we have coming right up now? Well, Ramya, I know this is something that you mentioned, uh, one of the things you are looking forward to this upcoming conversation. I look forward to the fact that we get to talk food once a week like this now, instead of every two weeks, and always so many great things to cover and other areas that maybe we hadn't been able to go. Let's welcome in Mary Mamaliti for our food discussion. If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mamaliti here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes. Mary Mamalini of KitchenConfession.com. You can check out all sorts of recipes and content there that Mary has. Welcome back, Mary. How are you today? I'm well. It's great to be back. Um, so you're going to make someone happy today getting into this subject today. But Me? let's start with so many <laughs> different types of uh, olive oil out there. How do, how do you decode which one is right? For you, how to use it, and what some of the terms actually mean. Oh, see, Ramya, you and I are the same. I absolutely love olive oil. And it's it's honestly one of the two main staples that are always in my pantry. Mm -hmm. Olive oil and vinegars, different varieties of vinegars. Uh, I'm yeah. always making some type of dressing. So it's a bit of a passion of mine. I think it's also because, I mean, I was raised in a Southern Italian home. Olive oil, always, always, always stocked. So when that good stuff, and I don't know if either of you can relate to any of this, but when that good stuff, as my parents would say, would go on sale at the grocery store, they would actually go pick up as many as they can. But if they kind of limit it to one a customer, right? I know I'm saying oh. this on air, but yep. yeah, I'm saying this I on air. I'm going. gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. They would send the kids in, and we would all go pick <laughs> up a bottle. True story. I can't make this stuff up. But it was, it was just For because olive oil. oil. Yeah, that it's is just awesome. so expensive. Talk it was about so liquid expensive. gold. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was just hilarious. But we did it. We did it because I loved it. And I still do. So let's break this down a little bit. Olive oil, especially extra virgin olive oil, it's heart healthy. And it's also one of the most regulated foods in the industry. This I found out recently, and it kind of shocked me. And it's what actually sparked this conversation again for me, because I talk about olive oil all the time. And there are around 2,000 olive varieties in the world. I had no idea there Ooh. were that many. Yeah, same. Oh, me neither. Right? I know. And then what's even more unique is that each one has its own unique characteristics, unique size, unique taste, chemistry, all of that good stuff for each individual olive. That being said, all olives, they do, however, start off great. So, and then depending on the length of maturity, so how long they stay, you have green, and then as long as the longer they stay to ripen, they turn black. So then we have all of so can you eat all of them? Is what I get asked all the time. You can. Mm -hmm. Olives are all edible. They can be eaten anyway, and they can be used to make oil, which is what we're talking wow. about today. Well, and and Mary, aren't there places now that are popping up that and I I, I think I, we've got one here in London. That's their specialty now. 
Um, and yes. as, as you say, 2,000 types. Well, no wonder if you have that much available in the world that you could get, even if it's like 100 of that 2,000, put the, have them in jars, have them on racks, and all sorts of complementary things you can do with it, you're going to have people and be able to run yeah. enough clientele into there to have a, a business, aren't you? I, I wasn't even aware of this until about four or five years ago that such places existed with that's their specialty. They do. And I highly recommend if they offer a tasting service mm -hmm. or tasting menu, oh, definitely yeah. give it a try because it will change how you experience olive oil. Yes. And what the differences are between the different types of it and how you use it. Right. So, I mean, again, even a later harvest, more mature, it's more mellow in flavor than something that's picked right when it's green, ripe, uh, not even ripe, sorry, rather unripe, that's got a stronger taste to it. So if you have that option to go for those tastings, definitely give it a shot because it's definitely worth it. Do they last um, differently, Mary, depending on how much they've matured aged. or not or aged? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the more mature the olive is, the less likely it'll last as long as the greener olive. Because right. again, it's already done that kind of processing. So it's got a shorter shelf life. Okay. Um, and yeah. that's, that's in translation to the oil. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Interesting. Absolutely. Okay. So how is it made, the oil? Okay. So simply put, the olives, they're just, they're crushed using a machine that turns it into a paste, which then it goes through this process, which separates the oil from the water, from the solids, right? That's it. That's what the process is. It's a very clean process. My aunt in Italy, actually, I'm all full of stories today because this is how deep olives and olive oil run in within my family. My aunt has an olive grove. And I remember as a child that she would send us this pure unfiltered olive oil. Mm. And it was absolutely oh, wow delicious or when we would go there we would just have a bottle and just taste it it was delicious it was so good so flavorful and you really got that olive flavoring with it so i'm gonna ask a silly question if that's the way you guys would receive it if it is so good um it's not generally sold that way out there is it or it's is not. that a an, no. an expensive oil can it be or is it due to those regulations you mentioned that it's not it's due to regulations and also so let me explain the difference between the two mm -hmm. an unfiltered oil is usually it's visibly cloudy um, and uh. it has a shorter shelf life so that's what it is it doesn't last as long so it goes through a little bit of a process olive oils they range in color from light bright yellow to like a deep green it doesn't always necessarily impact the flavor of the of the olive oil, but it can. But keep in mind, it doesn't always necessarily. So, like, okay. let's start with extra virgin olive oil. Yep, extra virgin olive oil. It's the grade that has the most health benefits. So it's cold pressed. It comes from fresh olives, and without any chemicals being used in the processing of it. So that's your extra virgin olive oil. Gotcha. Then there's virgin olive oil. So there is a difference. Virgin olive oil, it's allowed to have some minor flavor defects. So you've got a little bit of a difference already in the virgin olive oil. So they've dropped the extra, now it's just virgin olive oil. Then we move over to olive oil. And this is important because olive oil is made from blending two different types. So virgin olive oil with a refined virgin olive oil. And what the refined virgin olive oil means, it has been treated, it's been treated to remove basically any flavor defects that make it then lighter in color, and it's more of a neutral tasting. So that's the difference between the three. 
That's really interesting because we tend to find recipes that all call for extra virgin, right? Anything mm -hmm. and everything is always extra virgin. That's the one that seems to get the most hyped anyway. But I'm curious what you think or what's proven to be the best to cook with. This is an interesting question, and I love it because olive oil, overall, it does have a lower smoke point than a refined yes. oil, right? So it's best if it's used. You can still saute, fry with it, but it's best when it's used with anything that requires maybe like a medium to low heat. Mm -hmm. Nothing that's really high, that scorching heat, you'll, you'll really get a lot of smoke with the olive oil. Yep. And it'll basically kill any nutritional value that's in it. Right. Um, right, so... And then also you could deep fry in uh, extra virgin olive oil. Done it, it just becomes, no, it, but it becomes very expensive, <laughs> very expensive. And right? smoky. Uh -huh, yeah. And smoky, but well, we crack a window, but what it also does <laughs> is um, it changes the flavor. So it adds flavor to whatever food you're using or you're cooking. So I love to use the olive oil because it always adds an extra element, an extra layer of flavor to the dish. And then we've got maybe that mild flavor olive oil. Those are great for cooking, baking, dressings, because it's a little more mild. It doesn't overpower whatever you're right. doing, especially in baking. You want that subtle hint of the olive, but you don't want it to overpower um, the baked goods. Can you tell by the then, color, Mary, of the oil, uh, whether it's going to be mild or not, or you really have oh, to go through the... Yes. Okay. Great question. At the beginning, remember I mentioned it does, it doesn't vary, but here's a quick rule. Very green. It's an intense olive oil. Mm -hmm. Those are perfect for like those finisher of meats, soups, stews. You just drizzle it over top. It's all, I, I like to use it for like that little drizzle mm -hmm. finish to a meal, to dish rather. And then when you're buying olive oil, here's what I suggest you do. First, packaging in a dark bottle. That's what you want. You want packaging in a dark bottle. You want, because olive oil, it's sensitive to light and it'll go rancid a lot quicker if it's right. exposed to bright lighting and especially fluctuating temperatures. So store it in your cupboard away from the stove and away from heat. That's my first advice. Wow, Next. that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, olive oil labels. This is interesting because they must include information such as its net weight, country of origin, expiry date, nutritional values, all that good stuff and storage conditions. So if there's something missing on the label, it means that maybe the quality of oil isn't guaranteed. Okay. Doesn't mean that it's not edible. It's not good. It's just, it's not, the quality is not guaranteed. Um, certification. Oh, I want to mention this because this is important. The European Union, they grant certification of, certification of authenticity. We're going to say that again <laughs> to brands as uh, they basically guarantee that they're high quality. Mm -hmm. So look, you know, search for PDO, which is protected designation of origin, PGI, protected geographical indication, um, organic olive oil, which guarantees the ecological and the chemical free production. Wow. Look for those. It's, it's, yeah. like, a controlled, it's like a controlled substance. <laughs> like it really, it like I really, and I know it's important. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not complaining. Yeah. Yeah. But it just, it, it's but the all, sourcing it is so important. Flavor. Yep. And that's yep. the thing, because it guarantees that quality and that flavoring that you want. And it's a huge product that's out there. Mayor, very, very quick, Kitchen Confession podcast. What's up? 
Let me plug two of them because this is episode 130, which is track and field with Paralympian Dave Johnson and episode 131, which is uh, French Italian fusion with top chefs, Erica Carbolink. And I want to mention both because Dave, Dave shares his kind of food fuel that he uses before he uh, does any of his, um, uh, Races. Oh gosh, guys! Yeah. Thank you. Good. Wow, I drew a blank. Sorry, Dave. Oh my gosh! And then uh, Erica takes us behind the scenes of the show, and then she shares a lot of the stories about Philby the competition and uh, some of the unique ingredients they used. Yeah. Okay, great, Mary Mamalady. We'll talk to her next week. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. After the break, we're checking in with Christine Malik for Curious Minds, talking sea shanties. We'll be right back with that on Kelly and Romia. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramya on AMI, and we're well into the second hour of the show, hour two, if you're looking for it on podcasts. Uh, just simply put, we uh, upload the first hour and then the second hour, so you can find it on your favorite podcast platform. And Kels, before we get to anything else, I really have to ask you a, a very serious question. Do you crack your knuckles? No way. Well, okay, hold on, hold on. Let, let me rephrase that. I'll do the, if my fingers Any feel joints. funny, I'll do the pulling, the, yeah. you know, and trying okay. to loosen them up. I will, you know, sometimes they'll, but I'm not great at the squeezing them and making anything happen. So no. Okay. But no. you pull, you pull really to crack your knuckles? Yeah. Sometimes Don't I pull bend. to, or, or just push on them, uh, open them wide to see if anything happens. How about your wrists or your ankles? No. 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 All right. No. My brother cracks his uh, ankles often. Oh. Very oh. uncomfortable I mean, sitting next I to him. I rotate, and sometimes you'll get a little crack, but very little. Yeah. Uh, more my knees, my knees, but again, on their own, right? That's really huh. where, where, you know, uh, I'll find, or sometimes you straighten your arm out and you'll get that. The elbow or the shoulder? Yeah. And it sounds, the elbow, and it sounds so painful that I'll like, ah, and clutch my arm <laughs> and nothing's happened. I just like, oh, it just sounded nasty. Cracking your neck sounds painful. You yeah. hear it in movies? Sounds yeah, really you painful. Do. And like, and it's not like one crack. It's like Oh, multiple. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's multiple little snap, crackle, pop, and you it's uh -huh. only so much you can pretend it's a cereal commercial. Ew. Anyways, these are the kinds of questions <laughs> and answers we get into on Kelly and Romeo. Uh, but let's get into something more fun. We're gonna talk music with Christine Malik on Curious Minds. Christine Malik, and this is Curious Minds, our dive into arts, culture, and science from a blindness perspective. This is going to be fun. Chris is very much into music, and you have something very specific you want to talk about today, Chris. Sea shanties. They've had a surprising revival in the last few years. So why don't we start with what exactly a sea shanty is? Uh, a sea shanty is a version of a working song, and working songs are a bit of a universal. Lots of cultures have them. So, the example, one of the examples I came across was uh, in Scotland, women who are stretching tweeds. They have, they stomp in rhythm with with a song that they sing. Or uh, builders. There's lots of there's lots of instances of working songs, and so a sea shanty is a song. Uh, that 
is sung to rhythmical, boring, monotonous work that is done <laughs> on a ship. And so the the origin of the word is a bit unclear. It could be, uh, or the origin could be from a chant, and often the work songs are chants, or it could be from the France for French for chanter. So it's unclear, but uh, you don't hear them talked about much until the early 19th century. And it's only in a very specific context, which was in the merchant fleet, because they were actually banned uh, in in on warships uh, because you needed to be listening for things like kill and duck and stuff oh, like that. Right. So you weren't right. supposed to be <laughs> singing. <laughs> and so the the songs, a, a classic sea shanty has a very specific pattern of call and response. And so the the, oh. the person who leads the song might be called the shanty man. And what oh. this means means is it's usually someone with a good voice and a good memory or and or the ability to improvise uh verses as you go and so uh the call and response pattern in a classic shanty is uh it's kind of formulaic so if i may i'm going to give a a little example i'm not going to do the whole thing but there's a call and response and a call and response and it's very pattern very pattern specific and canadians will recognize this so the uh the first call goes Oh, the year was 1778. And then the first response is, how I wish I was in Sherbrooke now. And so that's a line that gets repeated many times by everybody. And then the second call is, a letter of Mark came from the king to the scummiest vessel I'd ever seen. And then there's another line that's a response that everyone sings. So that's a classic Stan Rogers uh Barrett's Privateers that follows the uh, the shanty format. So you don't have to have a great memory. Um, sometimes the verses Thank are goodness. telling a story. Sometimes they're improvised. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, oh, and, Chris. Wow. And, so and I can the, see the why on some boats is... they would ban it and say, no, 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 you can't sing well. Because as you say, you definitely need that lead to, to be someone that can carry it and have the beat, that like everything, and make sure everyone can follow. Yes, and the, the the funny part is that there's there's uh, a certain amount of folklore around the shanty man who could say things improvised improvised verses in a sea shanty about say the captain is a drunken sot or the first mate is a dishonest <laughs> crook and you could kind of get away with saying things that you can't say out loud so it has a certain you know <laughs> i'm not subversive quality yeah. if the shanty yeah. singer leader is is good at what they're doing Wow, interesting messaging. I, at first, when you started to talk about it, I thought, okay, during work, people attune or whatever. Remember the old Licks restaurants? That the, but when the staff would get anxious and that, they'd sing some song. <gasps> this is far oh, more yeah. intricate to that degree. Well, that's for sure. Wow. Um, <laughs> so we, we, of course, always stop and say, what has the pandemic left us? So mm. what happened during the pandemic to bring them more into the public awareness? Yeah, this is so interesting. So it was very much a fringe, like you're out in the weeds if you sing sea shanties, you're an old British guy who's all crusty, you know. So what happened during the pandemic was uh, TikTok, a TikTok user um, in Scotland got hold of something called the Whalerman, which is a very old sea shanty covered by many, uh, many groups. And there's a group called the Longest Johns, who are a British folk group with lots of sea shanties. And they're a bit preoccupied with a, a pirate-based 
video game. And they would go together on this virtual video game. And when you're supposed to go onto a virtual ship and take people's stuff, instead they would say, we want to sing you a song. We don't have to kill you. We could sing with you. <laughs> and so they would do versions of, of sea shanties. And one of the TikTok users got a hold of this. And the way TikTok works is you post something and you invite others to post alongside it. So someone posts a duet and then it turns into a trio and then it turns into adding and adding and adding Mm. and adding. So this works visually and auditorily. So this guy in Scotland got a hold of the Whalerman and he just built and built and built and it became this mega phenomenon where it it got into the mainstream media. And uh, it was kind of a, a product of the pandemic in that everyone was isolated at home and mm-hmm. la- lacking that sense of connection. And I, for me personally, singing with other people is just the most, I don't want to be cheesy, but it's really heartwarming. It feels good. And um, in the isolation of the pandemic, that human connection was obviously something we were all suffering without. So I think that's why it kind of took off uh, in that way when it did. It was a social media thing people could interact with, become part of, and connect ourselves through time as well. This is really old music with a lot of history to it. And it's a context where people could sort of fit themselves in. Even if you don't sing well, you you might have a sense of style that you could bring to the visuals or you just put it on anyway, because it's fun. So it, it got a life of its own. And the Longest Johns are, are much more well-known now than they certainly would have been without that TikTok phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because technology brought us to that place. I struggled with this a lot during the pandemic as well, just finding the magic of being around music again, because it was most mm. of the time just you and your speaker, oh, right? Yeah. Like, I know, or, yeah, I know. Maybe for you, you and your guitar, but for me, because I don't do instruments, it was like just me. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how do I find that creative spot again how do i find that nice squishy vulnerable spot that soft spot for music (laughs) without other people so it's it's fascinating to think well technology through tiktok or other means brought you that space to sing with other people again yeah, it's really it's really quite amazing. And one other thing that started happening was uh, the Longest Johns especially have done this a few times. They've done crowdsourced songs. And so I think they did it with the Whalerman. Most recently, they did it with, oh, it's a song about the labor movement and the name escapes me, working, a man working. But so what they do is they post the song, then they invite anyone to record themselves harmonizing mm-hmm. with the song send us the audio and a video of you recording it then they conflate all of that audio into one piece of audio video that they they commit includes every single audio we received so even if oh, you don't wow. sound that good whatever they merge everyone and it becomes this gorgeous tapestry of people from all over the world they may be alone when they do it, yeah. but they come right. together yep. and they become part of something huge. And uh, I, I, it's it's actually I don't think it's just a product of the pandemic anymore. I think mm-hmm. that idea of a crowdsourced musical tapestry has become gotten a life of its own because we're all so yeah. much more hip to well, media and it's taught. 
people how to do it. And someone like me who says, oh, I like singing with people because then they can bury my bad voice, mm -hmm. right? But yeah. when you're yeah. talking, doing something like this, singing along with something, and even if you aren't a strong performer, they're going to put you in there. You're going to be a part of it. What you do well is still going to come out and be a part of a massive, you know, beautiful chorus of, of voices. Yep. And, you know, someone who may say, oh, no, I'm not going to sit there isolated on my own singing. When that mm -hmm. dawns on you, you can be yeah. a part of that without feeling, well, I would if I could sing. You know, this is something yeah. for the yeah. spirit of it, isn't it? Oh, yes. And I, I always say music isn't about how good you are. It's about how it makes no, you feel. Absolutely. And so feel, it's feel. so true, yep. right? Yeah. How yeah, you feel. Is. So I've been to many. Um, so so one way that, you know, people can get involved with this in a real way is in your own area, wherever you live, Google um, shanty sing or folk sing along or singing circle. And I've been to singing circles and shanty sings where literally the, it could be a, a six-year-old kid who who's mm -hmm. there with his parent or a, an 80-year-old guy who's croaking like really uh, but it doesn't matter it does not matter it because everyone yeah. sings together and it's just beautiful it's 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 really beautiful to hear human voices together it is and and that part of it is so it's the same reason why we go to packed concerts it's the same everything right we just <laughs> love singing together uh how do you say or see shanties alive today right now um so there are it's just so it's actually really surprising the age range that you see so uh where i live in toronto for example there's a group called press gang mutiny and they're younger than me i'd say they're in their 30s 40s and uh they host a monthly shanty sing so there's a pub you go there on a sunday afternoon and they lead it but they really encourage other people to step up lead a song sing yeah. along they post up the lyrics on you know uh uh, so the other people cited uh, cited folk can read it and they're so simple you don't need the lyrics you follow along so right. uh in that way uh shanties are still sung in in the real world and the age range is really incredible little kids young people middle-aged people old people uh mm -hmm. ethnically not so diverse but i think that will change um yeah but the age range is is absolutely lovely the singing ability totally range wide range and they want to be inclusive they're like how can we make this more inclusive and mm. and open for people so lovely spirit of welcome and it doesn't matter how good of a singer you are and how can we go to learn some more about it chris t uh you can go to YouTube and just type in Sea Shanty. You will be overwhelmed uh, with lovely <laughs> harmony stuff. Nice. You can go you can Google singing in my area, Sea Shanty sing in my area. Um, you know, folks are folks singing. Start something of your own. I that's yeah. what I did during the pandemic. And it's not hard. It takes a bit of resolve, but if you want to make it happen, find ways to make it happen on social media. Just pick a place, pick a time, say, I'm going to be there, come by and, and let's sing together. So mm -hmm. you can look for it and you can also make it happen. Just a bit of musical call and response. Chris, you're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Christine Malik joins us once a month for Curious Minds. We cover so much and it's so fabulous to cover music with her. Coming up after the break, we have our weekly roundtable with guest Mark Phoenix. This is Kelly and Ramya. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute.
continuing our daily show here on AMI. It's Kelly and Ramia. I'm Ramia Amuthan here with Kelly McDonald. And our last conversation just got me so excited to talk about music and singing, singing together, singing in real life, uh, and also really accepting that technology has played a huge role in that in the last several years as we yearn to do more music together and think, well, how else are we going to do it when we're all sitting in our own homes because of the pandemic? Uh, but to utilize the technology and bring us together anyway. So appreciated Christine Malik on Curious Minds. We'll highlight more of these conversations later on as we wrap up the show. But Kelly, over to you for our weekly special. We also saw it with theater as so many different things, radio plays, other areas that people had to learn how to bring that technology mm -hmm. in and work with others from afar. So um, hey, Rum, today, remember, too, we got the giveaway. We're going to be announcing right. a winner in a little while, folks. Stay tuned to the program for that. But in the meanwhile, let's get into some different kinds of conversations as we bring on this week's edition of the Thursday Roundtable. Isn't it convenient that we have a roundtable? Well, it's actually helpful. Just say it. The blind guy feels it now, goes, <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, yeah, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. So it's an open conversation. And with this open conversation, folks, we're going to have some topics that I pull up and just toss at our guest and Ramya. And we all just kind of kick it around and have a conversation. We call this the roundtable. We welcome back Ramya to the show, Mark Phoenix, former staff at AMI. And out there in Newfoundland now, we have to say he is the resident keyboard smasher of Phoenix Soundworks. Is that what you're doing? Pounding that on is what I'm doing. I'm smashing it right now. Watch this. Boom, boom. There we go. How many do you go through a week? Well, <laughs> I do keep one in reserve at all times. Nice. So, you know, yeah. So we want to know about that. Um, first of all, of course, welcome back. We're going to keep you in this rotation until you decide that you want nothing further to do with uh, AMI. I'm not going to say us. AMI. But we know that won't happen for a long time. Uh, things are going well. <laughs> Oh, things have been going really well. It's, uh, you know, had some work coming in, been having a nice time out here on the rock. Uh, it's funny, you were just talking about sea shanties. <laughs> right? Yeah. True. It's, uh, I mean, the only one I can think of offhand is eyes the buys that builds the boats and eyes the buys that sells. Right. And, and only those two lines. But yeah, uh, and, and, you know. and and that was more than I couldn't. It was frustrating me because I certainly <laughs> do know better. And like, oh, come on, you know, you know, just sort of like when someone says, hey, how many rounds do you know? Uh Oh no! Uh, round around old Joe Clark, uh, and that's about it. Um, how's the weather been? You guys managing? Well, most of this winter was pretty nice. Uh, we had a bit of a snowstorm the past couple of days. I've literally spent the past two days digging our driveway out so we can try to get out and about. Ibuprofen has been my best friend, um, but uh, you know it's uh, you know it's it's all right. You know it's it's good yeah. exercise. Get my lifting in. <laughs> that's it. Just be careful, as they say, as we soon as yes. snow comes, we start hearing all the, remember the heart attack concerns, folks, be careful. <laughs> um, we were talking earlier in the show with Bill Shackleton about this topic, and I know this is something that you keep in mind because you're all about things uh, astrological out there, no matter what it is. Canada's preeminent ethologist has seen an uptick, as Bill was telling us earlier, in unidentified flying objects in recent days. These reports coming in suggesting that more Canadians are turning their eyes to the sky. Now, this follows, of course, events since Friday, where U.S. fighter jets uh, shot down three separate uh, objects in Alaska, Yukon, and over Lake Huron. 
Chris Bukowski, who is with Ufology Research in Winnipeg, says he's received a number of sighting descriptions after U.S. and Canadian governments made the unprecedented decision to take action against the objects. He's been tracking UFO or unidentified aerial phenomena sightings for nearly 35 years and says reported sightings reached an all-time high in Canada in the 2010s, but have been on a steady decline since then. A study released by the Centre earlier this month says there were 768 UFO sightings in the country last year, but says those numbers are likely an undercount as people are reluctant to report sightings in a fear of being ridiculed. Laurie Paris, the Canadian Press. So, Mark, Rummy and I were talking earlier with Billy, and Rum, I'm going to start with you on this just in case you had any thought to carry on from our conversation with Bill. And we were talking about concerns of well, why people would not report. I think we we had come to the conclusion that obviously it's, well, uh, really, you're seeing things, are you? Or But now that it's a topic, people are able to be out there more. Um, and, Ramya, and we're hearing, like, in the last 8, 10 days, how many things have been shot down, but mostly how many things we're finding in our sky that makes you stop and say, you mean there's that much floating around mm-hmm. in civil airspace where a plane could run into one of these? Yeah, earlier I talked about, you know, the accusations. It's very easy to start pointing fingers at, and especially because we're going through so much turmoil internationally right now, uh, to start Mm. saying, you know, it was you, it was you, it was you. Well, we know who it was. Uh, But, yeah, I think at any angle that we look at this, the fear is the big component. The fear of, I'm not going to say that, like we heard it in the clip, I'm not going to say I saw something because uh, people are going to think I'm a conspiracy theorist. Or, um, you know, what could be happening and finding that terrifying. Or not knowing what's happening at all, not having a clue, but realizing that, oh my gosh, our government has to has decided to do this, or this is how the U.S. is handling it, and then worrying about that aspect of it. Fear is just overwhelming, I think, for a lot of us when it comes to these situations. And Mark, we have to be worried about that tipping point, making the accusations or or trying to satisfy us as people in the affected areas and tell us something, even if it's not accurate. Absolutely. And I, you know, some of this business with things getting shot down and yeah. the hue and cry, a lot of that's internationally performative is how I would put that. A lot of look at us, we have weapons, we know you're looking at us, we're looking at you, this, that, and the other thing. Um, but for a lot of people, you know, you know, those of us out out here in the peanut gallery, we don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. We don't, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know a hundredth of what's going on. And there's so many things, even in the sky, that uh, you know, people they don't notice, you, you know, especially if you live in a big city like Toronto, oh, where the light you might see, you, you couldn't, it might see a couple planets. You come out to where I am and you look up into the sky and hundreds, hundreds of stars, planets, objects moving overhead that mm. you may have never noticed it before. I mean, one thing I think I've, that throws a lot of people when they go to a place that's not so light polluted and they look up is if you get lucky, you can see satellites moving overhead, mm-hmm. you know, little rocket mm-hmm. boosters, satellites, you know, the Starlink constellation that's been put up. Yep. And, yep. and that's been moving over London things. here. We've been seeing mm-hmm. that apparently in the night sky. And I think something that kind of Ramya was getting at was if you don't know what you're looking at, you don't know how to describe it. Why, you know, what are you going to tell people? I saw a light. It followed me. You saw what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, I, or I saw a saucer in the sky. Hey, um, so, you know, people encountering things that they just, it's not, it's so far out of the experience. They don't have the words to describe it, right. you know, like, so why would you go around broadcasting it to people? But and there are people. object who... is going to be shaped somewhat mm-hmm. like what we describe as a saucer, because if anyone or anything is in the air, you want it to be aerodynamic. 
Well, yes, that's the thought you would go to. Yeah, not a box just floating, no. <laughs> you know. And 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 again, I Borg. know we're, that's right, exactly. And I know a lot of this is is the curiosity, and and it's harder because we can't find these things right now that they've shot down, and where we either owe an apology to some manufacturer in 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 you know somewhere in the country or the world that says, oh, oh, we wondered where that went. Um, I think the biggest concern for me, guys, is. It could an airplane have hit one of these things, right? You know, airplanes, it, like they've been at the heights generally a little higher than what commercial jets and so on fly at, but that doesn't mean there's not other things that could get up there. And and that is, to me, the more scary thing. However, Mark, these things are up there and been up there. Who knows how much of this is going on above our heads all the time? Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, drones have been in use by the largest governments on the planet for at least a decade uh, that we know of, and who knows how long before that they've had these capabilities. Don't even get me started on the spy satellite constellations that are up there. So I'm utterly unsurprised that things like balloons, drones and whatnot are just flying over airspace here, there, and everywhere. And you only really hear about it when, for whatever reason, someone wants to start a fight or start an argument yep. or, you know, go for some international embarrassment. Mm, so yeah, I'm not yeah. getting too worried about, you know, a few stray objects or probes or drones getting shot down. I'm amused. They're actually scrambling fighters to shoot these things down. Imagine being those pilots finally getting to fling a missile at uh, something after who knows how long. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, and it's a good cover for, unfortunately, the things we're doing as well that, you know, mm because everybody's watching everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's switch the gears, but stay yet a little bit with space. Uh, It's one last trip to the final frontier over on Paramount Plus, as a matter of fact, with the last season of Star Trek Picard, and this time there's plenty of familiar faces along for the ride. It's been a fever dream for Star Trek fans. The response we're getting is dangerously encouraging. <laughs> the original cast of Star Trek The Next Generation, including Jonathan Frakes, LeVar Burton, and Patrick Stewart, reuniting for the final run of Star Trek Picard. I have been told that we were not going to make it through the first season. But 36 years later, Stewart told me the journey's end, not possible without his old comrades. You know, I have so much trust in all my dear friends from Star Trek. I need you, all of you. Yeah. Matt Wolf, ABC News. So I got to ask you, Mark, was Star Trek, let's say next generation, when it came to be, did you just totally, well, of course you're going to do this, and this is going to last. Look at what the movies have done, and look what the original has done. At that point, 36 years ago, were you already bought into this as a long franchise? Well, 36 years ago, I was nine years, seven, eight. I don't know. I I was told there'd be no math. I was still in my (laughs) second. That's right. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, I've been. You know, I'd seen Star Trek on uh, Sunday night, you know, Sunday evening syndication, and it was pretty neat. And Next Generation, I got to follow from the beginning, and I became a huge Trekker. Uh, Like, you know, posters on the walls, action figures, all that business. And it's been fun to see the Next Generation crew get one more, get one last hurrah out of the way. You know, it's a little more of the adventures of Jean-Luc Picard and the crew of the Starship Enterprise. Like, you know, I'll turn up and watch it any old time. Mm. Rummy, are you a franchise person? Not saying with Star Trek, but all these other things. You see so many other shows that have become, you have CSI this, CSI that. Mm. Or is there anything that you get into that way in 
And it doesn't have to be the TV genre, the movie genre. Even. Now, sadly, I'm going to sound like an anti-series or franchise person because I am trying to think, like, what was the most that I've watched of anything? And I can't think of, you know, 10 seasons is the absolute most of anything that I'll watch. And, and I'm also have to say here that I binge things. I do not remember the last time I watched something in the last 10 years and still keep up with it, if, if that makes sense. Like, uh, mm -hmm. most things that I have watched is in two months, I have finished 10 seasons of this series. In one week, I've finished three seasons of this and, and or the entire, you know, movie franchise. But that's the most I'll do. I live in such on-demand binge culture, and um, yeah, like. But but I think most do now, right, Mark? I mean, yeah. people have gotten rid of. I think but most you would people think I watch, grew up with something and, else and that we, I keep in and touch. And we would have too. If I were a kid and I could have watched Dukes of Hazard or whatever it might have been, you know, epi, you know, a season at a time, uh, over a course of a day and a half, sure, I would have done it, Mark. Absolutely, I would have done it too, and oh. you know, like I then would have found myself hungry for something else to watch yep. um yes. it's yep. it was actually kind of to our benefit at the time that it was what i saw someone call a weekly drop model now you know mm -hmm. a weekly episode mm -hmm. you tune in at a particular time you get your adventure your story in and you go back to the, the rest of your life now you can get the whole thing out of the way in one afternoon and then it's yeah. done and with something what a battle yeah, I mean, something that's fun to do that kind of thing, you know, a show that you wouldn't normally really get into. But, you know, if you get see something you really like and you go through all like seven, eight, nine, ten episodes in one shot, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's it's done. And I've noticed that streamers now are actually trying to kind of bring back that, yes. you know, weekly, they are. weekly drama. Yeah. Like, release an episode at once, release two episodes at once, so you don't swallow the whole thing right away. Yep. And then, you know, you're off to the next thing. But it's hard, Which though. It, wanna... it is, but at least you don't have to worry about competing or figuring out what show you're going up against. Go ahead, Ron. Yes, but it's like bringing back the weekly drop model, I think it's difficult for streamers because, you know, we, we're living in a whole different headspace now, right? So, it, for example, you know, if there is the, something that I'm watching once a week, I'll tune in, I'll tune in. Before you know it, I feel like I've lost interest. You know, I, I the delayed gratification has now made mm -hmm. me lose interest in the actual product and t to the point where you know season two will come out and this is even for binge culture season two will come out of a show and i'm like what happened in season one again i don't really remember yeah, yeah that was oh, well. it was eight months ago or yeah. whatever yeah 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 uh, let's get an opinion on this, guys. Uh, I wonder if you feel the same way I kind of do. Uh, a film a film about Winnie the Pooh as a bloodthirsty killer hits theaters this week. We used to be friends. Why are you doing this, please? Winnie the Pooh and Piglet are now wild creatures killing young women for food because Christopher Robin abandoned them for college. This is the plot of the film Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, out this weekend. Wait, you can't do that to Winnie the Pooh. Yes, you can. A.A. A. Milne's book, Winnie the Pooh, became public domain as of January 1st last year. Filmmaker Reese Waterfield made the film for $100,000, and it's already made a million dollars in Mexico. He says he gets hate messages daily, and making a movie like that takes a thick skin. I'm Archie Zaraleta. Uh... A thick skin. I, I think it just is that. Oh, you know, uh, negative attention uh, is just as good as, as as positive attention in a case like this. Rummy, you're feeling. I mean, I'm. I just think. Oh my gosh, how could you do that? And I'm not even a Winnie the Pooh fan. I not was just really. gonna say. 
I have no attachment, like zero attachment to Winnie the Pooh. And I was still like, what? How could you yeah, do this? Yeah, it's still cringy. I, but, you know, I don't know. I guess if it makes for a good, what is this, a horror movie? A I guess. Yeah. Must be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mark? A, a, a gritty reboot of Winnie the Pooh is not something I asked for necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of thing I might catch on streaming on a Saturday if there's nothing else that pops up. <laughs> My goodness. Oh. Most out of curiosity? Like, do you guys think that this actually yeah. would be a good movie? No. Yeah, I didn't think no, so. No, no, no. That's all it is. It's an excuse to make a movie to get people to catch it. And, oh, we'll get that money. I, I think when you talk about stuff losing that ability because you can just run off and do anything, you wonder, would the original creator say, yeah, go ahead, write a killer's movie. I got all the money I need from Winnie the Pooh. I don't care. I, I don't think so because it's just something you really want to do this to Winnie the Pooh? Wow. Mark, wonderful to have you back with us. Kelly, Ramya, always a blast. Glad to be back. We You're never you. going to be able to get rid of me. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, I miss you, too. <laughs> you take it easy, man. We'll get you back on you here too. in a month or so. Thanks, you pal. You, too. Thank you. Thank you. Mark Phoenix joining us, as he did when he worked with us over at AMI, uh, here for the Thursday Roundtable. Wonderful to hear his voice. Wonderful to hear him on. And on AMI Audio, you can still hear his tones in those promos, folks. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things to hear, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk with Greg David in a few moments and announce a winner. You better stick around because it could be you. And we'll see what else is coming up tomorrow on our program right after this. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. I know we're wrapping up the show, but we got so much to get through. So we're just going to plug, plug, plug for you. Okay, here is what you can find on today's podcast. If you catch it on demand using your podcast platform, search for Kelly and Ramia. Some of the highlights of the show. Kelly, go ahead. I really liked Michael Fair talking a lot about some stuff on how to basically set our screens, reminding us that when you get those prompts for anything, badges or anything like that, you can do so much work to set them up so they work in favor of you, especially those of us in the low vision blind community. You don't want the redundant stuff. Really great segment if you want to learn about those kinds of things and how to set that up. And next week, he'll be doing the focus, which is quite exciting, too. Mm -hmm. And he includes all the details of the settings and the options and the details. The, the navigation with voiceover. So definitely check that segment out. Also talking olive oil with Mary Mamaliti today. So much description and detail of olive oil, the different kinds that are out there, uh, what we should be using them for, and the taste difference, the color difference, the process. I never thought that we'd get into so much and do it in such little time. A thousand different kinds. Yeah, wow. of oils out there, exactly. Um, now... We're going to get into the fun part of this last little bit of the show. We have an announcement, the Dream Big Contest announcement, winner announcement to be exact. Uh, we closed this on February 8th, and we were promoting it all through January just to launch our show and to um, really hype the the partnership and the relationship with Tempur-Pedic and to help us find out the winner, we have Greg David joining us. He's AMI's communication specialist and was a big part in putting this contest together for us and with us. Hello, Greg. Hello. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for joining us and um, wanting to help us announce the winner. So are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Well, I don't know. I mean, I almost feel like you... 
Uh, yeah, I feel like one of you should do it. I mean, sure? we could talk. We could yeah, tell us stats, you. though, first. Can you tell yeah, us so, stats first? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, first of all, before we get to announcing the name, let's drag it out as long as we can. Yeah, why not? I mean, you know, Rami, you already mentioned the great relationship that we have with the folks at Tempur-Pedic. And when we kicked off this contest, you had Ashley Eakin on, who's a director out in Hollywood. Uh, she's Canadian, and she came on to talk about her experience as, a, as a, a member of the disability community and a director out in Hollywood. And she talked about the fact that she has a Tempur-Pedic mattress. Uh, the Tempur-Pedic folks are once again going to be sponsoring the AMI scholarship, with which we'll talk about. Uh, you actually already talked about that earlier on this week, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll go more in depth on that. But we just have a really great relationship with Tempur-Pedic. And they were kind enough to give us, a, well, not us. They're giving somebody a lucky winner, which we're going to announce in seconds, a Tempur-Pedic mattress, a queen-size mattress. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of you should should make the announcement and, and, and say the name of the person. Okay. All right, Kelly. You want me to do meeny, it? Meeny, miny, moe. Yeah. I've got it in front of me here. Go ahead, okay. though. Do it. All right, I'll do it. All right, here we go. The winner of, can you guys do drum rolls? I don't know if it'll come up properly. Yeah, hang on, audio, let's see. Yeah, thank you. I got the, the right winner, table to do it. The winner, the final winner of the Dream Big with Kelly and Rumia and Tempur-Pedic contest is Hedby P of Toronto. Woohoo! So they're receiving the Temper Pro trademark queen size mattress. And we had over 7,000 people apply for this contest, which is fantastic. Greg, that did you is... say in the first week it was like 4,000? Yeah. Yeah, and and actually just a few days ago it was over six uh, before we closed the the it was days to go on the contest it was over 6000 and then I checked wow. uh just before Ooh. coming on uh, earlier today I checked the numbers and it was over 7000 and that's incredible. I mean the amount of uh, of entries has just been you know uh, immense and we just couldn't be more proud and uh, once again thank you to Tempur-Pedic for participating and, and yes. thanks to oh, everybody yes. that listens and watches Kelly and Ramya for participating and for entering we really appreciate it and we'll have uh, we're going to have a, at least one more contest coming up uh, because we've got a new well we've got a new season of fashion disc coming up that's and right they want to give away some stuff too so more contests on the way fantastic awesome. Greg really really loved that you came on to help us announce this thank you so much thank you have a good one. Greg David is our communication specialist here at AMI and uh, head, head, we, head we P, the winner of the contest. Congratulations to you. Uh, we will check in on more details for you later on. Kels, really quickly on tomorrow's show, we have Susan Kearney joining us for gardening, talking about plant families and their surprising relatives. Oh, yeah. And John with our app update as Mr. Beeler joins us. He's going to be talking about Uber introducing audio recording safety. This is recordings that will be going on during your ride. Uh, looking forward to what he has to say there and how that will work. All that plus the chatty bookshelf and everything else that we have as our Friday staples coming your way. Kelly and I say goodbye to you this afternoon, but we'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Appreciate your precious time today and do it all again tomorrow on Kelly and Romeo. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.